This episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze, the one New Year's resolution I've ever been able to stick to. It's completely transformed my laundry experience. Gone are the big, heavy plastic jugs, the measuring out of detergent every time. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze wash sheet. All I do is grab an EarthBreeze eco sheet. It looks just like a dryer sheet, except it's slightly less dry. It's ultra concentrated detergent. I throw it in the wash and that's it. Never think about it again. Laundry comes out great, clean, fresh smelling, no harmful chemicals or bleaches or dyes or anything in there. If you want to change up your laundry game this year, right now my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled, that's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt. This month, we are re-releasing season one of Drilled about the origins of climate denial. That's because a new peer-reviewed study in the journal Science has just been published, and it shows that scientists working for Exxon in the 70s and 80s didn't just know quite a bit about climate change and what was causing it and what it would bring to all of us. They predicted all of it with alarming accuracy. I spoke with the lead author of that study, Jeffrey Supran, about the fact that in many cases, even if fossil fuel companies have stopped sowing doubt about climate change in their home countries, they're still running the same playbook abroad, especially when it comes to countries in the global south. It's a bit of a look forward to our next season coming out in March as well. I would love to hear your take on on something related to this new series that we're working on, given what you've just put out in this study. So there's several court cases that have been filed in Guyana with yeah. the goal of trying to pause drilling there. One of them is a constitutional case where they're arguing that this project infringes on the citizens' right to a healthy environment. And, and the judge added... ESSO, which is Exxon mm. subsidiary and its partners in Guyana mm. as defendants. So they're sort of co-defendants with mm. the government in mm. this case. And in some of the back and forth in there, ESSO, Exxon subsidiary, is mm. arguing that the science is not settled on climate change. Yeah. In you know 2022, they made that statement in, in a legal document. So yeah. <laughs> what you think of that, given what the company itself has known for a long time? Well, it's like, what do you say, right? Like, I mean, what, <laughs> how, like, what, it's pretty flabbergasting. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, what do you say? But I mean, it does in some ways mirror, for instance, you know, the tobacco industry's gradual shift in public affairs focus, you know, from the West to other parts of the world, when regulation and campaigners and scientists and everyone started clamping down on them in the US and Europe, you know, they started to target China and India and South yeah. America and other demographics with like equally, if not more heinous, you know, messaging campaigns and tactics. So 
I guess in that sort of broad sense, it maps onto that. It's like following the money and the opportunity and taking advantage of one would imagine generally slightly less engaged or capacious media or grassroots right. networks that can respond and hold accountable that kind of messaging. But I mean, clearly it's it's astonishing, right? At this point, they're not just contradicting what they knew decades ago, they're contradicting what they say on their own website. <laughs> I mean, all I can say is, you know, like, tell me where to go testify. Coming up after the break, winning the war, a look at how the world is grappling with climate change today. Stay with us. New Year's resolutions are almost destined to fail. I resolve almost every year to work less and we all know it's not going to happen. <laughs> but one thing I have been able to stick to and you can too is switching up the way you do laundry in 2024 and grabbing Earth Breeze. I know what you're thinking laundry is not so fun. Those huge heavy plastic jugs measuring out the right amount, getting goo all over the place. It's annoying. Earthbreeze eco sheets totally changed the game. Unlike powder or liquid, Earthbreeze actually looks like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent. And it's super easy. You just throw it into your laundry and that's it. There's no measuring, there's no lugging anything around. Your laundry comes out clean. It smells great. I love it. It's genuinely made my life easier. It's also dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, free of bleach and dyes. So it's perfect for every load. You'll never run out of detergent again, thanks to Earth Breeze's easy, flexible subscription. You can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Plus shipping is always free and EcoSheets are packaged in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. It also gets rid of one more plastic thing in your life. And the company has donated over 100 million loads of laundry and counting to those in need. Right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. 40, 40. Go to earthbreeze.com slash drilled. That's E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E dot com slash drilled for 40% off your subscription. If you're listening to this show, you are probably at least climate curious. And one thing that I get asked all the time is, okay, I understand that this is a big problem. We need to act now, but what can I do? The climate crisis can feel like such a huge, overwhelming problem, which is why this April, former U.S. Vice President Al Gore and The Climate Reality are holding a free training on what's happening with the climate and what we can personally do. And actually, I'm going to be part of that training. It all happens in New York City, April 12th through the 14th, and it's going to be big, really big. If you want to know what climate change means for your future, your career, your part of the country or the world, this training is for you. You'll get to hear straight from former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, and a lineup of incredible thought leaders, scientists, experts, and more at the top of their fields. 
I'll be doing a training on climate disinformation as part of this. You'll come away with a real understanding of what's happening to the planet and the skills to make a difference. If you complete the training, you'll join the Climate Reality Leadership Corps, a community of nearly 50,000 change makers all over the world. To learn more and apply, visit climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. That's climaterealityproject.org slash new dash York. I hope to see you there. Undrilled. They did such a good job that the public is more skeptical of climate change now than the oil companies are. The world's largest oil companies are embroiled in multiple lawsuits across the country and the globe at the moment. While the technicalities of these suits differ, they're all mostly about the same thing. These companies spent millions of dollars to manufacture doubt about climate change when they knew the science was sound. They knew it was sound because they funded a lot of it. They used this science to guide business decisions for themselves while paying PR agencies, front groups, and scientists for hire to tell everyone else it was bunk. ExxonMobil posted on their website, read the documents, and so we did. And they claimed that anyone who'd read these documents would see that they exonerated them. But in fact, they didn't at all. In fact, if anything, they painted a more distressing picture of how much Exxon knew about this problem scientifically, and yet how much confusion they sowed in public about it. Mere fact that a climate modeling group was established and that the tanker project was funded indicates that upper management felt this was a good idea and wanted to pursue it, funded it. The issue was not where we're going to have a problem. The issue was simply how soon and how fast and how bad was it going to be, not not if. Nobody at Exxon, when I was there, was discussing that. influence campaigns were wildly successful. Climate change is here, and its impacts are noticeable. It has intensified storms and wildfires to the extent that once rare natural disasters are happening every year. Those disasters are taking lives, and some of those deaths have been directly linked to climate change. In 2007, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, estimated that 150,000 people per year were dying from climate change. That number has only risen in the decades since. As I talk into this mic, the death toll in California's latest batch of catastrophic wildfires has reached 25. Entire communities have disappeared. Former Exxon consultant Marty Hofer says he can't help but see the oil industry's fingerprints on that. Frankly, it's very depressing when I hear about the wildfires in California. Now, some of those could be attributed to, uh, I mean, the climate. There's no question that this is due to climate change and the warming of the oceans. Some of those could probably be attributed to to, to Exxon's product that became CO2 and went into the atmosphere. Uh, And that's depressing. 
Since the argument is often made that it would be economically disastrous to act on climate, it's worth noting that the impacts of climate change have caused billions of dollars in addition to lives lost. Scientists have calculated that $2 billion out of the $12 billion in losses caused by Superstorm Sandy can be laid at the feet of climate change, which raised sea levels and exacerbated storm surge. In November, commercial crab fishermen along the West Coast came together under the Pacific Coast Federation of Fishermen's Associations, PCFFA, the West Coast's largest commercial fishing association, to file suit against 30 fossil fuel companies that they hold accountable for losses caused by four straight years of fishery closures that have harmed crabbers, their businesses, their families, and local communities in California and Oregon. The key issue for crab fishermen is that warmer waters cause more algal blooms, and those blooms release an acid called domoic acid. Domoic acid is a potent neurotoxin, so if it builds up in crabs, fishermen can't fish those crabs and people can't eat them. Here's Noah Oppenheim, PCFFA's executive director, explaining the suit. In 2015, testing of crabs preseason showed that crabs were testing at far above unsafe levels of demoic acid, which is a potent neurotoxin produced by an algae in the ocean. It, it persists in warm temperatures and it shut down the fishery for five months. And it was devastating. It resulted in loss of opportunity. A lot of young fishermen who have just bought their boats, bought their permit that that year or the year before were just hung out to dry, absolutely stuck. And when the fishery finally opened, the damage was done. We saw tens of millions of dollars in losses. We're expecting to see this as the new normal. Demoric acid is going to be an issue for this fishery and potentially others in the future. And the connection between carbon emissions, warming the oceans, and Demoic acid in our crabs is clear, direct causal connection. So uh, when you have a direct connection like that and you have a financial harm, we feel that the responsibility for ameliorating that harm lies not with fishermen and society, but by the companies, entities that produce the problem in the first place. California's ever-extending fire season saw the state burn through its annual budget for 2018, $442.8 million, by September. Fire agencies estimated they needed an additional $234 million to continue combating fires, and that was before yet another devastating complex of fires hit in November. If you want to talk to someone who knows for sure that climate change is happening, talk to a California firefighter. Here's Cal Fire Chief Ken Pemlot on Good Morning LA earlier this year. It, it really is going to get worse. The last several years have just shown us every year it continues to progress. And things are changing. If you ask career firefighters out on the fire line who have been doing this 30, 35 years, these are not the kinds of fires or the conditions we were facing you know, just a few decades ago. Climate change is real. It, it's happening. We're, we're seeing, again, more intense fires. Fires are burning more rapidly. They're getting larger. The 100,000-acre or more fire used to be the exception to the rule. We might get that every few years. We're getting multiple 100,000-acre fires each year.
Last year, Pimlot told me that one new thing that's made firefighting harder is that it's not getting reliably cooler and wetter at night anymore. Nighttime was historically when firefighters would get ahead of a fire, but recent data indicates that nights are warming faster than days. We're seeing record-breaking natural disasters all the time now, not just once a decade. And they do seem to be breaking through the noise a bit. It gets a lot harder to say climate change isn't happening when people can see for themselves that heat waves are hotter and longer, or that storms seem bigger and more regular than in decades past. In the last year or so, climate change has regularly made the covers of magazines and the front pages of newspapers, as it did back in the 90s. And that's a positive step forward, because for decades, the industry successfully blocked the first critical step toward taking action on climate. Acknowledgement. According to most of the literature on human psychology, in order to move past our general tendency to freeze when we're facing huge and scary challenges or big losses, is to acknowledge that the problem is there and that it's tough to deal with. Instead, the industry put the American public on a pathway to denial. They did so knowingly and with purpose. Hofert says that's what drove him to break ties with the company. I am not sure if I quit or was fired. There yeah. was a disagreement. Let's put it this way. There yeah. was a disagreement. When I first started working with Exxon, I was more pretty idealistic. I thought that if Exxon actually had the information on climate change and was up to speed with the researchers, and the only way that that could happen would be to publish papers in the peer-reviewed literature, so I kind of insisted on that as a condition of my uh, consulting. And we did publish papers, and, and they did develop a certain expertise. So, But my thought was that, based on that, since we were in the research division, that this would inform the management of directions that the company should go in, and I thought they should pursue alternative energy. And, and I thought that they would. That didn't happen. They actually uh, hired and it was probably not the same people who hired us. People who hired me were in the research division. I have a feeling the other guys were in public relations. And they were, they were funding climate change deniers. First of all, I was frankly pissed that they were funding these climate change deniers because I didn't think they had the credentials of scientists. They, none of these people had published peer-reviewed journal articles on climate science, whereas we had, so there was an asymmetry here. I mean, I can understand that companies want to put the nicest face on uh, these things, so, you know, that will have the least impact on their bottom line, but, you know, I didn't think that was a good thing for them to do. I've heard from all of the former Exxon employees I spoke with is a sense of regret, of an opportunity lost. I really think we had something at Exxon. Yeah, okay, we're going to be an energy company and we recognize this problem and so we're going to help direct the, the, the country away from fossil fuels. And instead it just said, no, we just, we just want to make money on oil and we don't really care what happens. That, it's, it's, I mean, it, it upsets me. I don't know, 
else I can say. It's just, it was definitely a missed opportunity to lead. Oksana is attacked in this way because it cannot plead ignorance. All the other companies at least can plead ignorance, but they cannot plead ignorance when it becomes generally scientifically accepted and it's well known that they're spending a great deal of money to misrepresent the science as being grossly uncertain. There's a cost, and, and the basic problem is that we're still treating the atmosphere as an open sewer to dump CO2 into. Hofer, in particular, says he and some of Exxon's staff scientists tried to warn the company decades ago, but he takes no comfort in being able to say, I told you so. If they had listened to me, they would have instituted some research in alternative energy. Uh, they're doing some of it now. They're working on algae. But they could have gotten started on uh, electric batteries, lithium batteries, because they did the initial research on it. They could have been the ones to build the biggest battery plant in the world, like Elon Musk is doing in, in Nevada now, because this was way ahead of that. That didn't happen. And we're behind now, and the feat in front of us is that much harder. Not least because the United States currently has a president who regularly refers to climate change as a hoax. So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and that a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? It's a hoax. It's important to acknowledge that that's the result of an industry-backed, decades-long information war particularly as Exxon attempts to fight various climate liability suits with a First Amendment defense. The company has argued in Massachusetts, New York, and now California that the fraud probes and liability cases against it infringe upon its rights to free speech. That argument hinges in large part on the notion they created that climate change and its impacts are political ideas to be argued about, not science to be acted upon. And here's a promotional video from the Competitive Enterprise Institute positioning the subsequent probes as infringing on free speech. No American should fear being singled out and harassed by a government official who takes a different point of view on public policy questions. President Obama's Justice Department may be going after your business if he does not like the way you think about global warming. Democratic attorneys general from more than a dozen states fired off subpoenas, seeking decades of records from climate change skeptics, including the Competitive Enterprise Institute. What's happened here is unlawful and it's un-American. This is what happens when you can't win a debate. They couldn't pass it through Congress. So instead, they're imposing their agenda on everyone else. Our first reaction was Hell no, this thing is one unconstitutional fishing expedition. The real thing that they're after is to shut down the global warming debate. The first of these suits filed against the states of Massachusetts and New York is ongoing, but hasn't stopped the fraud probes from continuing or acting New York Attorney General Barbara Underwood from filing suit against Exxon for misleading shareholders about its actions on climate. New York's Attorney General has filed a lawsuit against ExxonMobil, uh, alleging that the company defrauded shareholders by downplaying the expected risk of climate change. Holding the industry accountable for manufacturing climate denial isn't about finding a bad guy or even strictly about justice. Although, of course, we love a good bad guy, and I imagine lawyers like winning cases more than they like losing them. 
It's about putting climate denial to rest once and for all, and removing key obstacles to action. The IPCC has warned in its latest and most alarming report to date that we have roughly 12 years to keep climate change in check. Authors of that report called for urgent and unprecedented change. And to accomplish that, we need systems and capital, as environmental sociologist Bob Brule points out. The idea that we're all responsible for climate change because of our individual decisions is a profoundly unsociological understanding of how behavior is formed through cultural influences, behavioral influences, and economic factors. It's blaming the victim for the real decisions that are made about how do we structure our cities, how do we, how do we set energy policy, how do we set the cost of automobiles, and things like that. It, it obscures the power of vested interests to be able to shape our lives. The idea that companies deserve more protection than people, that, for example, Exxon's desire to say whatever it wants about climate change is more important than the public's need to understand the reality of the situation, is one that's been repeated over and over again in recent decades. It's become a cornerstone of conservatism, but it doesn't need to be. Conservatives were once among the nation's most ardent conservationists. It was only a few decades ago that conservatives backed policy aimed at dealing with global warming. To the extent that denying climate change has become part of the conservative identity, that was entirely manufactured by an industry trying to protect its earnings. It's not an immutable truth. And those unprecedented changes the IPCC has recommended, they're not as far out of reach as they may feel. And radically changing the energy system may not be as radical as it sounds or as harmful to the American way of life as the oil industry has made it out to be. The technology already exists to tackle climate change. The obstacle now is political will and catalyzing massive social change. But this country is not unfamiliar with massive social change. We've seen it every 20 or 40 years since the founding of the US, which was in itself a pretty radical act. We might take heart in the words of Walter Monk, a 100-year-old oceanographer renowned for helping to invent the science of wave forecasting, which was critical to winning World War II. He speaks often about how quickly things changed in order for the Allies to win that war, and draws parallels with acting on climate change. Here he is talking about that at Scripps Institute recently. And I hope we can all work effectively together to do something about it. It's a job about as difficult or maybe more difficult than the one we faced in beginning in 1941. At that time, we had no idea what we were going to do. And we changed from being in a very, very difficult decision to landing in Normandy in three and a half years. I'm still amazed how quickly things changed. Things need to change that quickly again. And they can. The world is waking up again. The fossil fuel industry is reacting to both legal and public pressure. And politicians are finding that running on climate action is a winning strategy. As the country begins to acknowledge fully where we are and how we got here, as people begin to understand that it's not our fault, but that we do hold more power to catalyze change than it may seem. 
As we break through the fear and grief and paralysis, we can change the tide and win the war. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The series was reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Our producer and composer is David Whited. Richard Wiles is our executive producer. Our story and concept development consultant is Reka Murthy. Lucas Lisakowski designed our cover art. Katie Ross, Michael Ann Petrella, and Julia Ritchie provided additional editing. Drilled is supported in part by a generous grant from the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. You can find Drilled wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. It helps us find listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.